John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with our Bibles open before you, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to hear and understand and to believe and obey. We pray that you would comfort our troubled hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, every two years, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research put out this report called The State of Theology. And the goal of this report is to find out the theological temperature of the United States in order to help Christians better understand today's culture and to equip the church with better insights for discipleship. And the last State of Theology report was in 2022, and it was shocking in many areas. But one in particular said that 56% of people who call themselves Christians, so 56% of people who call themselves Christians, agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Judaism and Islam. 56% of people who call themselves Christians. And that's up from 2020, where it was only 42%. This should be shocking to all of us, because that is not what the Bible teaches. God does not accept all the worship from all religions. There are not many ways to God. 
In our passage this morning, Jesus makes clear that he is the only way to the Father. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This is the sixth of Jesus' seven famous I am statements, which are all exclusive and set Jesus apart as the one and only Savior. And as Orthodox Christians, this is what we believe, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We often view that as an evangelistic verse, right? And for sure, it's a great verse that we could use in sharing the gospel. But when Jesus said it, he was not using it for evangelism. But he said this to comfort his disciples who were struggling in that upper room with all that they had seen and heard. Jesus sees their hearts that are troubled. And so everything he says in this passage is to give them spiritual comfort. We all go through times of fear or anxiety. And what Jesus says to his disciples here is what we need to hear to calm our anxious and troubled hearts. I know that there are some in this church who are suffering for their faith. Some of you have family members who have rejected you because of your obedience to Jesus. And there are many others who have troubled hearts because of certain circumstances and trials that you're facing. In this passage, we will see three ways in which Jesus brings comfort to his disciples who have troubled hearts. Three ways. He, he gives comfort through, through what he does. He gives comfort through who he is. And he gives comfort through what he will do through us. So comfort through what he does, comfort through who he is, and comfort through what he will do through us. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning, is simply this. Believing in Jesus and his promises brings comfort to troubled hearts. Believing in Jesus and his promises brings comfort to troubled hearts. So John has told us back in chapter 13 that Jesus himself was troubled in spirit. He was troubled because he knew he was going to be betrayed. He was troubled because he knew that death was near and that on the cross he would bear the wrath of God. He would stand in the place of sinners and take on our punishment. That's why he was troubled in spirit. But as the night went on, Jesus noticed that his friends, whom he loved, were also troubled. J.C. Ryle says this, He saw their hearts were troubled from a variety of causes, partly by seeing their master troubled in spirit, partly by hearing that one of them would betray him, partly by the mysterious departure of Judas, partly by their master's announcement that he would only be with them for a little while longer and that they could not come with him, 
and partly by the warning addressed to Peter that he would deny his master three times. For all of these reasons, this little company of weak believers were cast down and anxious. And so in a moment where the disciples should have been coming alongside Jesus in his darkest hour, Jesus is the one who gives comfort to them, which should comfort us because all of us experience moments of anxiety or trouble. And when these things weigh us down, we can feel as, as though no one else understands what we are going through. And yet Jesus knows every thought and every emotion and every detail of the lives of his people. And look at what he says to his disciples in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now remember, Jesus isn't like us. We're bad at comforting people. When a friend tells us that they're going through something difficult and some season of life, we often say, well, don't worry, man. Everything's going to be all right. That's Bob Marley comfort. It's not the best thing to say to someone who's going through a difficult moment because we don't know if everything's going to be okay. What if it gets worse? A lot of times things aren't okay, at least for a long time. We don't know what's going to happen. But here, Jesus knows everything. He knows what's going to happen, and he really knows what his disciples are going through. He has just told them, I'm going away. I'm going to die. And so they're probably thinking, well, what's going to happen to us? Their hearts are troubled. And so Jesus says in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus focuses all their attention on him. Now, when he says, believe in God, believe also in me, he's not saying that he's not God. Because later on, he's going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we know from the prologue, John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. What he's saying here is that many people talk about believing in God. But he's making clear, if you're going to believe in God, you have to believe in me. If you want comfort for your troubled and anxious souls, then fix your eyes on him. Jesus says, trust me, abide in me, believe, believe in me. Now look at verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. The King James Bible has pretty much ruined this for us. Because they translate it in the King James to say, in my father's house, there are many mansions, which is not a good translation. And this has led people to cling to that word mansion, focusing on what we're going to have when we get to heaven. And it's also led people to write songs about heaven that are very imaginative, but miss the point of what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. In my father's house, there are many rooms or dwelling places. We know when he talks about his father's house, he's talking about heaven. And, and what he is helping the disciples see is that there will be room for them. 
there will be room for them. Look again at verse 2. We see Jesus giving his disciples comfort for what he does. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, what does it mean that Jesus goes to prepare a place for them? Does it mean that he's gone to heaven and now is using his carpenter skills that he learned from his earthly father, Joseph, to build mansions? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not up in heaven with a hammer and a nail building things. Jesus was nailed to the cross in order that you would have a place in heaven. When Jesus tells his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, where does he go? He goes to the cross in order to shed his blood to secure a place for me and you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. There is room for you in heaven. And Jesus has secured a place through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus tells his disciples that their hearts should not be troubled because there's room for them in heaven and that he's going to prepare a place for them. And then he will return to take them there in order that he would be there with them. The comfort that Jesus is giving here is that those who believe in him will dwell in the place that he goes to prepare for them, and he will be there with them. We don't have many details in the word about what heaven will really be like, but we are told in the scriptures constantly that we will be with Jesus. Heaven means going to be with Jesus. So don't be preoccupied about the things that we don't know about and are not as important. Like, will there be sports in heaven? Or will we get to eat Chick-fil-A all the time and not gain weight? Who cares? We're going to be with Jesus. And he has promised this in his word. Jesus gives his disciples comfort through what he does. He goes to prepare a place for them. And he does this by going to the cross and dying for their sins and rising in order that they would have eternal life. One of the reasons why we get so anxious and troubled today is because we don't think about heaven enough. When's the last time you talked about heaven? We don't sing about heaven enough. Michael and I have been talking about the lack of songs that are specifically about heaven. But there is this one song called Glory Land that I hope we sing here someday. A little plug. Here are some of the lyrics. The lame will walk in glory land. The blind up there will see. The deaf in glory land will hear. The dumb will talk to me. The doctor will not have to call. The undertaker know 
There'll be no pain up there to bear. Just walk the streets of gold. We'll need no sun in glory land. The moon and stars won't shine. For Christ himself is light up there. He reigns in love divine. Friends, take comfort in knowing that Jesus has prepared a place in heaven for us, and we will be with him there forever. Jesus comforts his disciples by telling them what he does, and he also comforts them by telling them who he is. Jesus then makes this statement, the disciples know the way to where he's going. And that's when Thomas speaks up. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? There are two disciples who speak up in this passage. Thomas asks a question, and then Philip makes a request. Thomas asks, how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going, Jesus? Now, Thomas is... He's thinking about a literal destination on the map. So he pulls out his map and he, he says, Jesus, show us. Show us where you're going. Thomas is thinking physically while Jesus is speaking spiritually. Thomas is, is, is kind of like that person who looks all over the house for the keys that have been in their pocket the whole time. He's kind of like that person who walks all over the house looking for their glasses, which are on top of their head. See, Thomas did know the way. And, and when we get to heaven, we all need to thank Thomas for asking this question because it produces such a beautiful and clear answer from Jesus. Jesus answers in verse 6, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas knew the way because he knew Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. This is what theologians call the exclusivity of Jesus. This is what makes the gospel so offensive to some people. You can only come to God through Jesus. He says he is the way. He's the way to heaven. He is the way to peace with God. He calls himself the door and the gate through whom people draw near to God. It's through his blood that we are redeemed and cleansed. He's the way. He's also the truth. He embodies the revelation of God. He reveals the truth of God so that we might believe and come to know God through him. He says and does all that the Father tells him to say and do. He's full of grace and truth. He is the truth. He's also the life, the one who has life within himself. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the bread of life who has come down from heaven and has given his life in order that the world might have life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything we need is in him. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Think about those words. What does no one mean? No one. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only way to God. You cannot get to the Father on your own because your sins have separated you from him. You cannot save yourself. You cannot earn your way to heaven. No amount of good works will help you save yourself. There are not many ways to God. God does not accept people from all religions. He only accepts those who come to him through his son. There is no other way. And for those of you here who are Christians, know this. It is not humble to shrink away from the plain words of Jesus. When people press in on you about the exclusivity of the gospel, it is actually prideful. It is fear of man for you to back down from this central truth. The glory of Jesus is at stake, and people's eternity are at stake. He is the only way, and we must proclaim this. All other religions are false and lead to death and hell. None but Jesus can save us from our sin. None but Jesus can bring us to God and grant us eternal life. All of mankind have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the punishment for sin is death and separation from God. No one is good, not one. No one is good enough to get to heaven. All of us deserve hell. And yet, Jesus has come to be the way, the way for sinners to be reconciled back to God. He died on the cross for our sins, and he has risen from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and he offers eternal life to all and any who believe in him. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way of salvation. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, you know the way. I am the way. And Jesus says in verse 7, if you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In this passage, Jesus is constantly talking about the Father and his relationship to the Father. The, the disciples didn't know him as fully as they might have if, if they just paid closer attention to the things that he taught them. They had failed to some extent to see him as the only Son of God who, because he is the Son of God, reveals the Father. And yet, Jesus in this verse gives them hope and a promise that they will think about these words in the days to come and come to know him more deeply and profoundly. Not only is Jesus the way to the Father, but through him we come to know the Father. The Father is God 
and the Son is God. They are one in essence, and yet they are also two distinct persons, right? The, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. It's the mystery of the Trinity. Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one, and yet he's also distinguishing himself from the Father. And then Philip speaks up and says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Philip is, is asking Jesus for a manifestation of, of the Father's glory. Maybe he's thinking about Moses. But this request shows that Philip has not understood that Jesus has come in order to reveal the Father. Remember what John wrote back in the beginning of this gospel, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, the Son, has made him known. One of the reasons for Jesus' coming was to make the Father known. And Jesus responds back to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, as the Father speaks through him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Now, there's a word there for some of us. You can be in the presence of Christ. You can be gathered together, hearing him preached, have him right in front of you, and yet not know him. Jesus has shown Philip the Father in a far greater way than he could have ever seen with his physical eyes. And yet he is asking for much less than what Jesus has actually already given him. Children can ask the best questions because they're so simple and yet so deep. So sometimes children ask questions like, what is God like? What is God like? And the best and most biblical answer you can give God is like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to come to God, you come through Jesus. If you want to know more of God, seek to know more about Jesus. God the Father is like Jesus because Jesus reveals what God is like. That's what Jesus is saying here. How can we know the Father? Jesus makes him known. And then Jesus clarifies this by saying in verses 10 and 11, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Jesus speaks the Father's words. And not only does he speak the Father's words, but he does the Father's works. 
The Father does his works through Jesus. And he tells Philip and the other disciples, believe me. He says, if nothing else, Philip, believe on the account of the works themselves. Remember his works, those miracles that he performed, the healing of the blind man, the raising of Lazarus. He did those works to prove who he was. Remember, those miracles, those, those works were signs that pointed to who Jesus is and what he has come to do. They verify him and his message. And in saying all of this, Jesus is seeking to comfort them in their grief. He's telling them to believe, to believe that he's going to prepare a place for them and that they can be where he is, to believe that he is the way to the Father, and to believe that in hearing all that he had said and seeing all that he had done, they were hearing from the Father and seeing the Father work. Comfort comes from knowing what Jesus does, who he is. He is the way, and he is the one who reveals the Father. And then lastly, what he will do through us. Jesus goes on to say something so amazing in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus says that those who believe in him will do what he does. Believing in Jesus means becoming like him. But he also says that those who believe will do greater works. Now, the Pentecostal charismatics look at this verse, and they say, Jesus is telling us that we're going to do more powerful works than Jesus. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, if you believe me, then you're going to be able to perform amazing miracles. Jesus has just said, the works that I do prove who I am, and you are going to do greater works because I'm going to work in you. So what Jesus seems to be talking about here is the greater number of conversions, the wider spread of the gospel that would take place under the ministry of the apostles like we see in the book of Acts. The greater works are what Jesus will do now on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. Greater works here means more conversions. If you think about it, there is no greater work or greater miracle than the conversion of a lost soul. What a comfort to these disciples who feel like all is lost. Not only are they promised a place in heaven and that they do know the Father through the Son, but that they will do greater works. And after this incredible promise, this leads directly to the importance of prayer. Jesus calls his disciples to pray. Remember, they're grieving because Jesus is leaving them. And he says here that they will somehow still be connected to him while he is away. 
What an amazing promise. Look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. All right, so he's going to the Father, but he's going to be at work in his people. And Jesus tells us that as we recognize our need and the needs of others around us, we are called to call upon him, and he will answer. This I will do. Jesus says he himself, he himself will answer our prayers. He says it again. Look at verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise that he will answer any prayer that we pray. There is a qualifier there. He says, in my name. Jesus isn't saying that we can pray for sinful things or things that aren't according to his will. The reason for Jesus answering these prayers is that they are in his name and that in order that the Father would be glorified in him. And so the prayers that Jesus answers are according to his will, according to his purposes, and anything that brings glory to the Father. There is nothing too hard or too great as long as Jesus intercedes for us. Have you thought about that? So church, let us expect great things. Even though we feel like we're weak and ill-equipped disciples, our Lord desires to work in and through us in greater ways. I know every single one of us who's a member at Calvary would say we desire to grow more in Christ. We, have, we desire to have a strong evangelistic witness in our community, to see marriages restored, to see children in our church believe in Jesus. We desire to see people saved through the ministry of our church, to see people obey Jesus following his command to be baptized. We desire these things, and yet we know we can't change ourselves. We know we can't change someone's heart. We can't make someone want to hear the gospel. We can't make someone obey. All of this is in the Lord's hands, and yet he says, if we ask him anything in his name, he will do it. Church, let's ask him. Let's ask him. We're going to go through times and seasons when our hearts are troubled. Maybe you're at that point right now. Jesus is giving us the solution. When our hearts are wayward and strained, we need to focus on him and his saving work to remember what he has done in order to prepare a place for his people, to remember that he has promised to do greater works through us as we pray. We should live in light of this. We should live in light of the gospel. 
what he has done for us on the cross, what he has secured for us, and what he has promised. Because of what he has done, we have access to God in Jesus and only through Jesus so that we can boldly approach the throne of grace right now and be heard. And Jesus is eager to do works in us and through us so that the Father would be glorified in the Son. Now think back to that scene in the upper room. Remember, in just a few hours, Jesus was going to go through extreme suffering. He's going to be betrayed, denied, abandoned, humiliated, beaten, and then crucified. And he knows there is no other way. And yet, under that immense burden, he speaks these words of comfort to his disciples, whom he loved to the end. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Church, remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Believing in Jesus and his promises brings comfort to troubled hearts. Amen? Yes. Let's pray.